you're a dog. Which I'm happy for, I'm happy for him, you know. And I was in a boat called Hedwig. Just don't yeah. get this non-binary stuff. I want to say I've got the best cars in, in stand-up. What's the deal with fine dining? Hello and welcome to this episode of the Young Comedians Podcast with me, George Tothill. I've been wanting to get this guy on since before I launched the podcast. Like when I first had the idea and I was brainstorming guests, these two words always appeared on the page. Sam Williams. It's a slightly different episode for you today, and I'm trying to do more of these because this one is recorded on the road at the venue where Sam was performing that evening. It's like a little pre-show green room special that we recorded at one of my favourite London venues, Two North Down. So thank you to them for letting us record there. Um, and I fully recommend checking out their shows. They've got awesome lineups all the time, and they're in a great location by King's Cross. I've had so many fun nights out there, so definitely worth checking out. So on to today's guest. There are some things that are just impossible. Licking your elbow, eating a banana without it looking sexual, and writing an introduction for Sam Williams that isn't gushy. It's impossible because Sam is one of the nicest guys in comedy, certainly that I've come across. Sam and I started comedy at a similar time, both when we were at university, and we crossed paths for the first time as part of the finals of the Chortle Comedy Awards, where he placed second. I'd love to say I came first, but it was actually won by Joe Kent Walters, another wonderful man. And I even remember afterwards going up to them and saying, I wish I could be jealous, but the awards have gone to the two nicest men I've ever met. And Sam said, not even taking the piss, as he put his arm around me, the three nicest guys. And I was like, that is exactly the kind of shit I'm talking about. Too nice. It's because of this that from my experience, he's the best person to be backstage with. I'll always remember being in the green room for the finals of the Chortle Student Comedy Awards with the other acts. I arrived first, and I did my absolute best to be welcoming of every act that arrived and to keep a calm energy in the room. But I was really trying to do that. I was nervous as hell, so it was like a concerted effort to accomplish it. When Sam arrived, he brought a palpable positive energy, but he wasn't having to try. It was just second nature to him to be friendly, to be supportive of everyone, even though it was a competition. I saw it then, and I saw it again in the two North Down finals. This man is fantastically talented, but he's not competitive. He just loves performing and watching comedy, and he's so genuinely happy for his peers when they do well. I told you it was impossible to write an introduction that wasn't gushy, but I think as you listen to this episode, you'll get what I mean. He's a really nice guy, which makes him a perfectly assured stage presence, and he's got a brilliantly imaginative comic mind to go with it. I think we cover a lot of ground in this episode, but it is a little shorter than others because he had a show to do. And if you want to see that show in London, you can. It's called Himbo, and it's on Aces and Eights on Monday the 31st of July at 6.15, or Tuesday the 1st of August the next day at the same time, 6.15. And if you want to see him at the Edinburgh Fringe, he's on at 6.25 every day, except the 14th, just up the stairs at Just The Tonic, The Caves venue. Once again, it's a must-see. I mean, have I ever let you down with a recommendation so far? And if you don't believe me, let the man himself charm you in this episode. Sam Williams, everybody. All right, Sam Williams, welcome to the Young Comedians podcast. Hello, George Tothill. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, you're the only person who makes me feel insecure about my own calves. <laughs> well, this is what happens when you spend all of your adolescence at a rowing club. I've got, like, I've got the full... I want to say I've got the biggest, the best calves in, in stand-up. 
I'll make that claim at the top of this. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you for it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I, like, I grew up playing football, so like that, that's where my sporty side comes from. Yeah, you you did rowing, right? So you talk about that a bit in your show. It's a theme, isn't it? Definitely. I think the niche of the sport, the more they push you to high performance because mm. they their measure of success is like how many like national rowers or Olympic rowers can this one club produce, um, and that requires. Uh, a level of toxicity when it comes to creating competitive people and when you're talking about the male cohort of a club young men you're talking about turning them into like really competitive alpha types yeah um so and that wasn't an environment that i enjoyed at all i didn't understand why everyone was so obsessed with winning i just liked being on the river really but like and i think i quit because i didn't like the forceful introduction of this competitive element but it definitely i think as someone who now identifies as non-binary it was definitely a big early indicator for me that i didn't really um the the way that maybe maleness was the amount of maleness that was expected of me was something that i just couldn't actually produce <laughs> yeah yeah Do you know that's i found your show so relatable in so many like points i think i'm a bit similar in that I wasn't. I didn't enjoy being on the water. I enjoyed being on the pitch. I enjoyed playing football, mm. but all the like really competitive stuff, wasn't a huge fan of. Like, I used to get quite stressed out about games. It wasn't until I was actually on the pitch, like playing, that, that I felt at home. But mm. I think it's actually quite a. I don't know. Do, do you feel that like there's this version of you that's learned high performance that's helped you do well in stuff you do, but you almost want to distance yourself from that person because they've come up through this kind of toxic environment yeah so i think i'll t i'll put it this way um the person that i'm seeing currently like called me out very early on for being a massive people pleaser and i realized where like and in therapy as well this has kind of come up and especially now it's, i'm like, a heaviest start to one of these episodes, <laughs> <by> the <laughs> in a good way therapy in a good way yeah, yeah um i um i'm just trying to make myself seem as dateable at the at the top of this podcast as possible yeah. but like I realized that like I really I actually what I wanted from that from rowing was the approval of my coach and I've done other sports since where like track I did all through COVID and I was obsessed with the coach's approval of me yeah. and you know I did a comedy course and really I was doing uh, what I wanted to do was to impress the person that ran that and I still do yeah. so like there was definitely I always want people to be proud of me in a way that in a way that isn't I would say maybe isn't healthy because it's a it's giving myself my sense of value over to other people and that's something that I am I think because I've started doing work on that it's definitely helped my act because now I am just doing it for me a lot more uh which has been a really positive change of just being like uh like there's no point doing something for someone else's approval like that's something that we need to kind of address um me and the voice inside my head yeah. um so yeah definitely that i think that was introduced probably by disappointing my rowing coach by quitting um and and like i've always kind of sought that approval you see um in the i watched your work in progress like the other week um you told quite a funny story in the show about how you reacted really badly to a loss um, yeah is that when you quit yeah and can you explain what you did <laughs> so i didn't I th it's not true what i actually, what I actually did not? no 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 but it's within the remit of what i actually wanted to do but yeah. i i had a photo finish in a in a singles race it was maiden head regatta 
2011 or something but it's not you know it's not completely stamped in my memory or anything like that but the kid was in uh, he was uh, he was from Henley he was privately educated he was in a boat that had just been used in the previous Olympics yeah. and I was in a boat called Hedwig uh, <laughs> made out of wood and like we, we it was a photo finish um, I realise this isn't a visual medium. About an inch, I think, was the yeah. was. And but so you I, you thought the, that was an inch? The, okay, the th- uh, no, yeah, okay, I'm not no. good. At, I'm not, I've got a drama and film degree. I can't do measurements. What happened was, sorry, the real version is coming back to me. I don't know if you've ever done this, where you change the record of events in stand up and then it changes your actual memory. Um, yeah, I try and keep track, but it's happened. It's, it's weird. But yeah. basically, what happened was, I won, and I know that I won because I people were on the finish line and said that I'd won. And then they were like, no, we're going to do a re-row. And then I got trounced in the re-row because I'd put everything into that, like that, uh, yeah. that race. And that really, that really did fuck me off. And in the show, I've just created a version of the story where it's slightly more, well, it's just funnier, really. You said you put a hole in his boat and you sank it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I played battleships. Yeah. What, actually, um, what actually went down? What actually happened was I raced and I won the race, but I, they said I didn't win the race. They said it was a draw, which never happens. And then, yeah. um, and then they said, re-row. And then we raced again. And then, uh, and then he beat me quite comprehensively in the re-row. And uh, and I quit because I was just very frustrated with. Um, I just felt I felt like I'd actually no. I stayed for a few more months, but my joy for the sport went out when when that happened for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. It's it seems to be a show that is quite about masculinity, um, being a guy, growing up as a guy, um, mm-hmm. being you know you're non-binary, but but growing up being treated like a guy. Yeah. Right? Well, I have a line. I think there's a line in the show that will probably remain where I say like I'm non-binary, but I'm still a man because I mm. grew up as a boy, so and yeah. a guy. So like it's not that's a fundamental kind of you know that's I think and also I'm not like fully non-binary. I use he and they pronouns. So I think, but I think like I I'll never feel. I just I feel like one removed from I guess uh, the kind of maleness that. I, I try to achieve in my behaviors as a teenage boy. Yeah. And I think really at the root of my, of, of like what I think about when I think about my childhood and stuff, I think like how did such like a whimsical child become an incredibly aggressive and unhappy teenager? And then how did that person mellow out again? And what were the problems and what was the ugliness that was left over from that? Because from all of my favorite stand-up has real ugliness in it. And I'm not talking about edgy humor or anything like that, but there is like a... Bad faces, unattractive faces. Yeah, yeah, uggos, <laughs> which unfortunately I can't be uh, yet, but... Um, yeah, can we bring that up? We'll come, we'll come back to this, but you were called a good-looking chap by Chortle. Yeah, two same reviews year. ago. He's not objectified me since. Yeah, same year I was called a beta male. <laughs> so it's, it's, not like, it's not like he can't be me. It's not a charming man by default. <laughs> No, it's all right, Steve Bennett. He's actually, do you know what? I will say though, he did. Did you see what he did after the two North Down competition? No. The the headline when John won. Oh, I did see. Which this. I'm happy. For, I'm happy for him. You know, J- John Tothill wins two North Down New Act competition, and then sort of a subheading, sort of a little headline underneath, beating brother George. <laughs> it's like that was not. That's not. I mean, that's what happened. Yeah, but that wasn't yeah. the story. Such you know? a Costanza moment. Yeah, I think he thought it was clickbait. He was like, "Oh, this is like Logan Paul and Jake Paul." It's like, no, this is John and George. I imagine you up. was, you know, that movie Warrior with Tom Hardy and some other guy. In yeah, it, who yeah. are brothers. Yeah, but you're Tom Hardy. Yeah, except it's fucking stand up. <laughs> <laughs> no one's arm got broken. Um, yeah, sorry. So to go back to it, um, yeah. 
yeah, your show, it's, it seems to be a bit about masculinity, right? Definitely. The whole focus, the thing is, I don't want to do a show that is that has that is single themed mm. because I don't, I don't want to be, when I debut, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm the gender guy this year. I just yeah. want to be Sam. Um, so there isn't like an explicit narrative relating to my struggle not to sound like adolf hitler but like <laughs> i i think that there are there is a lot of room for those kinds of shows but i um i don't think i can i what i want to do isn't that it's like all of the shows that i really love are kind of like uh a lot bittier american stand-up specials on netflix and things like that and yeah. there is a lot of edinburgh shows that i really love but i think my favorite shows always have like a recurring motif or a phrase in and I haven't found it yet, but that's going to be as much kind of consistent structure as there is, as well as you. I think you naturally gravitate towards having some kind of narrative in an hour, but it will definitely be more light touch than like this happened and this happened and this happened. And this is about my struggle as a non-binary person, because I also think that I haven't really struggled. So it will be absolutely insane for me to try and, I think I just I like joy and I just want to that's that's what I want the, the the key feeling to be nice yeah I think you're capturing that so far um yeah uh, so you mentioned there yeah some of your favorite Netflix specials yeah um, I always I try and watch people's show before I interview them see like so we can promote it and and you know just talk about it uh, but you're the first person to be like after I watched your show you went I'm not doing your podcast until you watch another show. Yeah. And I, you recommended Sebastian Maniscalco. Yeah, what's wrong with people? I've recommended that to about four or five different people. <gasps> really? Yeah, I watched it the next day. It's You're right, it's the best beginning to a show in terms of like setting a tone and what this guy's about. Mm -hmm. And I found myself like the next day, like going into work, small things happening on the tube, just going, what is wrong with people? Exactly. It's such a nice like phrase to have in your locker. Yeah. Just to make you feel better about things that would usually piss you off. Yeah unbelievable special oh it's so good i just think well it's it comes um 15 years into his career and it's an hour and 20 minutes long and it's all club routines between three and five minutes and it start the phrase that he starts with is he says um if you want to know if you need to know anything about me it's that i got a problem with people and how they behave and then he says um when i was a kid my parents gave me this kind of book to kind of live by a set of rules on how to live and apparently nobody got the book <laughs> it's so good that's the best setup to someone's worldview like i mm. I, I just it just lit me because i first watched that coming out of the lo of lockdown obviously we were in the chortle competition at the same time we were going to do latitude like the next week yeah um that gig that you do as part of the final and up until i got the email about doing latitude i thought i wouldn't do stand up again yeah and that re that made that show made me want to start doing it again uh, and it made me realize how just how magic it is but yeah oh. wow imagine not yeah not wanting to do stand up and then doing latitude because i remember doing that First and then being problems. like this this is it <laughs> you know it was the best experience ever um fuck yeah when it came to that year of chortle with latitude i i didn't know we were doing it yeah i thought we weren't doing it no cuz uh, do you know what i thought when he said he was talking about doing the final at the fringe a lot and he said, well, we'll see if Latitude goes ahead. And what I thought that was, was him saying, well, if Latitude goes ahead as an event, then that means that events are happening again and the fringe will go ahead and that'll be the final. Yeah. 
And so I didn't realise we I had no idea we were doing latitude. No, I mean I read the email the same way you did. Yeah, just like, oh, this is a forecast. Yeah. And the next thing it was like, Oh, you need to do a, a bigger show than you've ever done before. I've never done a show bigger than that. It was three thousand people, I'm pretty sure. Something like that. Fucking huge. Yeah. Because it, it was a tester event, right? And yeah. everyone came back. First festival back. Yeah. Wonderful energy though, because everyone was like, yeah. it was the first thing of the day, which is usually no one turns up really because they're still hungover. But these people were like, I haven't gone to a festival in a year and yeah. a half. I'm going to turn up for everything. And we were like, oh shit. Like, we were they literally up the, for the first entertainment thing. back from coronavirus. Yeah, which, I mean, <laughs> you got to feel for so people. So glad it was, we were then. <laughs> yeah. Rather, yeah, but it was, I think that gig really did like, I think the thing is, because we were, we're obviously still in, like brand new now. Like, but then we were brand brand students, like, you know, so the, I think that I decided in lockdown, like, I'm not going to do stand up ever again because it was too depressing because I was so obsessed with it as a student. And then it all went and I wasn't getting, I wasn't, I was doing like fives and no one, no one, I didn't know anyone really. So like the, I wasn't doing webcam gigs or anything like that and they wouldn't have gone well anyway. So I got so depressed about not being able to take part in it that I just was like, I'll never do that again and that will be an easier way of getting through lockdown. And then that gig was like, man, it was, a, it was, it definitely brought the, made me realise why, why it's so much fun. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was the best welcome back. Um, I don't know about you, I don't, I don't remember being very present on stage. Like I remember being so in my head, like just do the next line do the next line yeah so rhythmic um and just not and not really taking it until afterwards where i was like holy shit what just happened mm-hmm. um like a my body reacted after but yeah it's still have you is that i mean i usually ask people i'll ask you now like your best gig and your worst gig do you say that was your best gig because you crushed it and it was a huge it definitely venue. was the gig that made me realize that i wanted to keep doing stand-up so i do think it was a real sliding doors moment that kind of whole being in the way the, where that final fell in relation to where I was at in terms of my mental health and everything else during COVID, like I owe that competition a lot just for coming in at the right time to yeah. encourage me to keep doing it. And that was very important. So I would, I would say that was my best gig in terms of it being my most, the most important one for my continued development, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a similar, it's, it's hard not to build narratives, right, for yourself, especially in, when you're trying to progress in something like this. I remember for me, I'd, I'd written a play at UCL and they're sort of partnered with the Bloomsbury Theatre, which is where the final was held. Mm. And that got, I, I spent the whole year like doing fuck all law work. Like I was, you know, meant to be studying and I was like, I'm going to write this play, it's going to be great. But all this happened into it and then it got cancelled because of COVID because it was going to be in June. And then for me, going back to the Bloomsbury Theatre for the final was like, I made it back. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like I've, yeah. I've still managed to get here. And uh, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, there are moments like that. There are moments in where you go, yeah, this is, this is where I'm meant to be and I'm, I'm doing a good, a good thing. Um, that, that's kind of your best gig then in a way. Let's do, let's do worst gig. It was awful. Well, I got heckled by Dancing in the Moonlight. I was bombing so hard. Sorry, my worst gig is racism. It's, yeah, um, I, the thing is, I don't want to sound too like a yappy golden retriever who just loves the whole world and everything, but like I've had terrible gigs, but they're the ones that I learned the most from. So I've, yeah. what I'm not even sure what I would say is the gig. Is that, that, is that like a golden retriever? 
Well, golden retrievers like that. they love it. A golden retriever being like, well, I learned a lot from that walk. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't a great walk, you know. We lost the tennis ball, but we we got a lot from it. I don't like being. I get called a golden retriever a lot because I'm a man who smiles, and like I think that it's a terrible way, <laughs> which of, is a crime. Yeah, but I think that's a terrible. Co- it's like they can't just be like he's a nice guy or a nice person. It's like you're a dog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the but I think genuinely I don't. I've I've. I've had some really bad gigs. Like there was one, I went, you know, I've been gonged off as fast as possible from the Up the Creek gong show and from the Frog and Bucket one. But like, I learned more from getting gonged off at both of those than like when I beat the gong at Beat the Frog before and and things like that. Um, I had a, I think a few weeks ago, I did an open spot, like five minutes at the Frog and Bucket. And I did like the wrong bit of material for that crowd. And I didn't do well. Um, I would probably say that was the worst gig that I've had just because I really, I would like to, it's nice to do well there. And I know how it feels to do well, yeah. but simultaneously it, it, by not doing the things in from my set that would do well, I learned how to actually go up and improve upon that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So mm. it was bad in that it's as a venue, you can see everyone's face and not give a shit about you. And it's a proper comedy club. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're like, this is not, I'm just not being very good at my job here. But like the still was very useful, especially in terms of identity driven, not doing, needing to change aspects of identity driven stand up in relation to my gender to make it accessible to people who don't know what being non-binary is. And I think when you gig a lot in London or like in Bristol, places like that, you can get complacent in terms of com- c- describing things in ways that a broader audience will find appealing. Mm. And for me, I want to be like, if I ever get to the point where, you know, I'm building a touring audience, I want that audience to be, you know, teachers and nurses and like, all essential workers <laughs> um, but no but i want i want it to i want normal people i want my parents friends to come and laugh and then if it's stuck when it's stuff to do with gender actually that becomes slightly more normalized to yeah. them in in a way but not in a way that is like this is a radical i'm taking a stand for non-binary people because yeah. ultimately i feel like as non-binary it's not a visible minority characteristic and i think that it needs to be I, I think that, that, that you need to meet people on a lower level as a result in order to actually explain what it is and how, like, to, to normalise it for them. Yeah. I think if there's a person who can do that well, it's you. Like, I think I've, I've, seen, I've seen you do it in the show. You do it very capably in the show. At the end of the show the other week, a woman also came up to you and was like, I just, I don't know why she's got a country accent. I just yeah. don't get this non-binary stuff. And, and you sort of, you know, explained it really, like, nicely and calmly and... and there was no hint of like frustration, even though that's a question you've obviously been asked a lot. It has to have been, you know. Yeah, but it there's certain questions I get asked a gay guy around, kind of like now and then I go, oh, just good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But you're you're very approachable. You're very like sweet, and it was a, a really nice dialogue just to watch. And I was like, this is it's part of the reason you're a good stand-up, right? It's the ability to connect with all sorts of people. I just yeah, I just want all the stuff that I like. I can show any like what the thing about what's wrong with people and it's why it's the one show that's like my death row show my I want it played at my funeral yeah I don't, like I will <laughs> show it to anyone and everyone I've shown it to has loved it from like my parents to friends to like you know siblings every like anyone that I show it to they really like it and that I think that's the sign of 
And it's not about going, how do I pander to these audiences? The thing with that Maniscalco special is he's so himself and he's so alien and he's so weird. Yeah. But you recognize yourself in that. And that for me, that broad accessibility, I think is very important. And I, like it's, it's what I want to bring with my act because I think that people deserve to enjoy stuff. And by being more highbrow or like, assuming knowledge on the behalf of audiences that is a bit rarefied i just think when i like i don't like i don't that's not my palette when it comes to the acts that i uh, look up to in terms of where i draw influence from i think as well because i i used to be a teaching assistant and stuff and i used to to work in hospitality and like i just love like i I like it when you can just connect with people you know Mm. and and i think that's bled into my approach to stand up definitely yeah um we're going to take a bit of a change attack, but I have to ask you, you mentioned working in hospitality. Last time I saw you, you were putting little true facts into the show yes. just to see if there's something in it, but it wasn't necessarily a joke. You slid in and then sort of, I think, regretted sliding in immediately this fact that you, the chef somewhere you worked, planted cocaine on you to get yeah, you fired. Yeah, so and then you just left it there and you were like, I haven't got a joke about that. Yeah, yeah. What's just, the story there? i got to know. Well, obviously, all, like, most chefs, most kitchens are just full of gear. And this chef kept coming up to me. I kept fucking up jobs. And I did genuinely in this job. I delivered room service to Rod Stewart. And there was a wedding singer, who, uh, Rod Stewart impersonator singing at a wedding in the garden and the real Rod Stewart staying in like the presidential suite of the hotel and I took him his room service and I didn't know what Rod Stewart looked like and he opened the door and he was like what do you think of the music and I was like I think Rod Stewart's shit and then (laughs) that was and then and then like that singer's good but the stuff he's doing dog red fucking crap (laughs) Um, so that happened that really happened and then I like the chef when the chef heard about that he was like you're high um and and my manager also assumed that I was high and I wasn't I was just 16 and overworked (laughs) um trying to run a four-star hotel's room service to the um to celebrities but um he got me fired by planting cocaine in my trousers and then um and uh I think everyone knew that I obviously wasn't doing cocaine um did you get to keep the cocaine no i he gutted yeah he took it (laughs) but he kept the thing is he kept saying that i'd smoked too much weed and that's why i couldn't do the job and then he planted coke on it so it wasn't a consistent narrative that he set up he should have been like you're gacked out your head but he didn't do that i feel like they could have just fired you for the rod stewart thing you've upset a guest but they went no no we need rod stewart loved it you know he tipped he he, he put 10 pound in my hand like handshake he was like that's "That's hilarious i think he thought i was joking um (laughs) and yeah but god shit jobs are so good like to do are they good for material a lot of the time i think they're good for for learning how to suffer Mm. which um or like, I think bad jobs and bad dates are good for stories. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I think you're at resilience and like, yeah, know, just knowing how to plow through. Just forges you a bit. Look, I came from a very middle class household. I hadn't lifted a finger till I was like six, 15 when I got that job. And it was important to suddenly go into a world where hard work, like I'd worked academically kind of hard in, or I worked very hard in A-levels, but at GCSE that moment I was coasting. I did, I did some like gardening work for in my own garden my dad made me dig stuff up and that kind of thing but like that was i I grew up in a very very um 
cushioned environment in terms of like like you know I was comprehensively educated in that but very solidly middle class um, and doing those kinds of jobs helped me definitely build the kind of resiliency that I don't that I think if you don't do those jobs when you're from that kind of background you get bits you get very soft yeah and I see you know I see it in people that you know I've been to school with and stuff who didn't have to work as much and it, it kind of I think it bleeds into your, your life so I'm glad that I was pushed to to start working at that age but yeah, yeah I mean I grew up without any trouble really I think yeah I, for me I mean I, I did have a very comfortable upbringing my, my parents were like if you really try hard at school and you really do well at music and everything's like then we don't want you to have a weekend job we'll, yeah. we'll pay for stuff if you do that but I did end up when I was like first doing stand-up like that year of Chortle basically doing loads and loads of shit 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 jobs where I was just supporting myself I was doing like tutoring but then I was doing like delivery in the evenings oh, like, yeah delivery like in the snow and then like leaving my bike lock on the other side of London and having like a massive panic that I'd lost it going and getting it cycling so far and being fucking exhausted yeah. physically at the end of the day and mentally because I was panicked and I, but I look back at that and I'm like yeah that's good uh, that's, yeah. that's where I like draw strength from now I'm like and you did that you had that awful day yeah know? it may and I think it draw it means that you reflect on the utter insanity and and privilege that is inherent in being able to pursue this in any capacity obviously yeah. neither of us are like making that much money out of stand-up at the moment but like that it doesn't really the fact that you can see this as a viable thing to pursue and also do it is very is is absolutely crazy that anyone lets you do it I think Hmm. let's anyone do it <laughs> so like to be doing this it, yeah i think it provides good context to how silly being allowed to do this is which is good yeah um i just want to make sure for the listeners because there's always have a couple of segments best gig worst gig we've kind of done um i always like to ask people is there a joke that you've done or any, any jokes you've done that just never worked but you think a goal have everyone go and that day for some reason i just decided to fuck around but at the same time it's quite helpful to see like just to see a joke not work which i thought was so funny that is funny yeah why did that not why was that not here because people were like what the fuck yeah i think most of them are because like they're more like seinfeld jokes than anything else i tried to do a bit rattle some off i tried to do a bit about fine dining where i said um what's the deal with fine dining that was genuinely the first line yeah yeah what's what's the deal with fine dining um you know, you go there and you get the food and it's fine. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not yeah. great. And then you, and then I was like, and then you get the bill and it feels like you're paying a fine. And uh, that's I like that. It's, but it's just, it's not. Uh, yeah, that was. I thought that was genius, um, and I didn't understand why people didn't in, enjoy listening to it. And now I do. Yeah, <laughs> there's something to be said for going in on like fancy restaurants, though. Like there's definitely. Like I'm trying. To, I'm trying to work on a bit about how, and I haven't. It's not in the show yet. Maybe it will come in. But like the the work, the most an audience has hated me has been when I tried to do a new bit about how much I hate going to like eating out. I think is an absolutely. I, I hate it as a culture. Mm. And like the entire audience was like, "You're you're a cunt." Yeah, well, you, you were talking to people who probably had a meal and then saw exactly. A show. Like, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the meal and a show. People. Yeah, and um, they do. They I just don't get it as a thing. So. Yeah, that was that was funny, but um, yeah, I'd say that. And I used to do a bit as well that I thought would be well good about how I would, I I was like, um, I don't really have my life together. Like my pants and pajamas share. I'd be like, my wardrobe's a mess. Like my pants and pajamas share a shelf. 
that doesn't make sense. <laughs> they don't even work the same shift. Um, <laughs> and again, no, it doesn't deserve anything. But like, <laughs> I thought it was, there was a definitely, a, there's a time, I think when you're really new, it's like, oh, that's a clever thought, so I'll say that. And that's like, that's going to be like, people are going to love that. But yeah. there's no personality in it. So mm. of course, they're not going to connect. That's, yeah. I don't, that's, that's funny for some reason, but it, there's something in it. There's something in it. It's like, I need to sell it to Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> He'll buy it. Um, Usually I just wrap these up now. It's coming up to the fringe. I think everyone should go watch your show, Himbo, obviously. Where is it and when is it? It's at 6.25 every day except the 14th, just up the stairs at the Just the Tonic Caves. Uh, a nice it's, venue. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really fun month. It's going up as a work in progress, 45 minutes. Um, it's free on the, or it's pay what you want on the day, five pounds to reserve a seat. It's only, I think, 45, 40 minutes even, which is what it will be, is the ideal length for um, anything, really. So, um, yeah, it's going to be cheap. It's going to be uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. It's one of the less sweaty caves rooms as well. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I said this to you before we started recording, but I'll, I'll say it again because I'm genuinely, I'm very excited about your work in progress show. Thanks, I, I think this is the the one i'm most excited about in terms of it's not a full show this year this is like a preview show. coward's hour a cow- call, yeah, that's just call called, me right? what i am which it's is like a coward. coward's hour but then next year it's going to be the full hour yeah. it's in ridiculously good shape already um as are you actually here we go Get, yeah. <laughs> come, come see the calves come see the show yeah you know a good looking chap um but what what else come on other other shows i'm trying to get recommendations from people so they'll come see you they'll come see him but any other shows you're excited about yeah i'm really excited to see alison spittle's show soup um i'm really excited to see Layla Navabi's show composition mm-hmm. um tamsin kelly's show crying in tk max i saw that as a work in progress and that is in that's in great shape that's gonna be very good um I have also don't not a full length show, but Pravanya Pillay is doing the Gilded Balloon uh, like showcase gig, yeah. and she's excellent, and the bill is excellent. Her Joshua Bethania and um, uh, Jack Skipper doing doing a three hander. That's going to be excellent. Also, Jamie D'Souza and Chelsea Burkeby doing a split. That would be really that's good. That's really exciting. I bumped into them last year at the Fringe, both of them doing very good shows. Yeah. Chelsea won what, Amused Moose or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, those two together, that's like, that's a show to yeah. see for sure. Um, also, oh, one, one last one. I saw Huge Davies and um, Janine Haruni's split last year. They did a free fringe split and it was one of the best things I saw. And both of those shows are going to be like, I mean, I think they were both nominated for Newcomer in 2019, but like those shows will be freaking amazing and i i did a preview with daniel fox the other day and daniel fox's show villain also fucking incredible um he's a professional like musical theater writer and the songs in it as well the stand-up's excellent and the songs are absolutely sublime so there's so much good stuff going up this year i'm well excited you're you're you love stand-up like i I know you should but like there's a lot of people who do it but they're not as into it as you you really are fully excited before a show you're about to do a show now we're recording before your work in progress yeah you're, like, you're absolutely buzzing off it and that's 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 really what you need right yeah yeah i just love i just think that so many people are making so much good stuff at the moment and some of it i will have forgotten just now but like i just think that it's insane that anyone let me be part of this world in any capacity so yeah i um I feel very lucky to be going up and to be seeing any and all of this stuff and to be able to go and do a preview in 12 minutes is 
crazy well we've got to go downstairs and see if anyone's here but um, <laughs> you know like that's it's it's awesome yeah yeah well um yeah very grateful for you taking the time um hope the show goes well it will do and Thanks, encourage you. everyone to go see it in edinburgh cheers and so that's it for this episode and can we just acknowledge i ended an episode properly for once if you're one of the ogs that listens all the way to the end usually then you'll know that it's kind of standard practice that i stop super suddenly it's like the sopranos or something Uh, but not this time right so i won't just repeat the same information but i will say follow sam on instagram his handle is at sam williams comedy that's the place to go for tickets or alternatively you can also get them via youngcomedianspod.com on the page i'll be creating for this episode so i hope you enjoyed the show please rate subscribe and follow and i'll see you on the next one you've been listening to the young comedians podcast with george tothill to hear more episodes and to find out more about the guests and where you can see them perform you can visit www.youngcomedianspod.com And you can also follow our Instagram page at Young Comedians Pod to be kept up to date with all the latest news from the podcast.